0: events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. Thank you for joining us again on the episode of the Old Ways podcast. I am normally your keeper, Keeper Michael, but I am abdicating my throne one last time to our guest keeper, and that's Keeper Bridget. She will be doing the final episode of our Regency Cthulhu Echoes in the Mist series. And so, Keeper Bridget, take it away.
1: Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Bridget Jeffries. And again, tonight, I will humbly serve as your keeper of arcane lore. I welcome each of you to the finales of Echoes in the Mist, a campaign that I've written with Regency Cthulhu specifically for the Old Ways podcast. I am joined, supported, and absolutely carried by a stellar cast and an absolutely brilliant editing and production team. So before we conclude our story, let's start with some introductions. Starting with John, please tell us who you are, who you're playing, and for this finale, please tell us what is the best that your investigator can hope for in this moment.
2: Hi, I'm John. I'm playing Hugo Bartleby, general devil about town, name of the king. And, um, ooh, best I can hope for, not get killed in any of the ways that I'm expecting to, to have my death be a surprise, will be the best I can hope for. Better to go ultimately insane and become the new hermit that lives outside of town.
1: So, John, before I even move on to Anubis, you know, I have to ask, what Mm -hmm. is that death that you're dodging?
2: Oh, well, let's see. The, the horrible red mist. The duel that I've got coming up at dawn. If dawn ever comes, uh, we'll reschedule if it doesn't. Those are the, the big two. I have a suspicion my sister might try and shank me. Just just based on a few things, but um, those are the big two, I think. Okay. You know, the a reminder uh, that the people here have no faces and red mist pouring out of them. So, you know, I'm not super keen on that.
1: Okay. Thank you for letting us know. We appreciate that. Noob?
3: Hello, hello. I am Noobish Indian Girl, and I am playing your newcomer, Santur Strummer, heralding the mythos in the year with no summer, Vidya Ambani. In this moment, all that Vidya Ambani can hope for is to be with her family until the end, her little baby animals. At least they're all in this ballroom with her. She's not even thinking about marriage right now. She left Henry on the floor and is running straight to her baby kitty. So she just wants to make sure her babies are okay. And whatever happens, she's she's with her family.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. You are you're looking to reconnect with aspects of home. And the menagerie that you brought with you is a direct connection to home. I like it. Okay. Last but totally not least, Mike.
0: Yeah. Hi, this is Mike. And I'll be playing yet again one final time captain sir robert dance and i think the best the captain can hope for at this point is that the coming sacrifices of blood and reputation do someone further down the line some good i don't really believe the captain has any true chance of survival so i would just say as um as any former military man would want, I would want to make sure that the end is as um, pleasurable as the beginning has been. And hopefully, if I have the opportunity, Miss uh, Throckmorton will be able to assist me with that.
1: Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Each of our stories have been preceded with a reading of Darkness, a poem by Lord Byron that was written this very year in 1816, A Year Without Summer. Inspired by the world around him, unpredictable weather, crop failures, riot, famine, death, darkness tells a terrible tale of the apocalypse and despair. In this narrative-style poem, the speaker dreams of a future in which the sun burns out and the whole world is left in total darkness. Panicking, the survivors of this catastrophe gradually destroy all remaining life in their efforts to simply survive. Michael Diamond is now going to present to us the final reading of Lord Byron's poem, Darkness.
0: The rivers, lakes, and ocean all stood still, and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships, sailorless, lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal as they dropped. They slept on the abyss without a surge. The waves were dead, the tides were in their grave. The moon, their mistress, had expired before. The winds were withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe.
1: As you all look over the room, filled with chaos, you see toppled over tables, chairs, and decor... There's a giant bird cage that's rolling about, and all of the birds inside are completely still and squawkless. People are in various stages of emotional disrepair and trauma. There's blood everywhere, and it's hard to imagine that so much of its spillage was all self-inflicted. Hopeless and powerless people, victims to their own despair, pulling and tearing at themselves, just trying to make the pain stop. There is a smoldering of sobs, coughs, gags, and wails that's just percolating around the entire room. The white matriarch and patriarch, William and Margaret, have completely vanished. Their son, Henry, left by Miss Vidya Ambani, is still writhing on the floor, clutching at his stomach from whatever relief or pain that he's suffering. Sir Bartleby, the senior, sits in his wheelchair, his eyes fixed, unblinking towards the ceiling. And anyone who looks at Direction knows he's gone. A heart attack, surely, maybe a stroke. Mariana Bartleby uh, has been brought down to her knees. She is shuddering, unconsolably, and she's babbling, Marcus, Marcus, stop, you'll make me lose the baby. Again, and again, and again, as she is absently pushing away at her father's dead thighs. And Hugo, you know Marcus as her husband. You haven't met him yet, but you know his name. Your Taylor. Harvey Davison, somewhere on the balcony above is rising, collapsing, uh, pulling himself up, collapsing, and he finally just collapses with blood running out of the corners of his mouth, and he keeps repeating the same phrase, that's not my name, that's not my name. Christabella Brode, the woman who challenged Sir Bartleby in a duel, is leaning over a table, and she is panting and wincing and scrunching up the cloths into her fists as if she's trying to ride out some form of critical pain. Tears are falling down silently from her face. And she's muttering again and again, you promised you'd come home, Daniel. You promised you'd come home. You promised you'd come home, Daniel. You promised you'd come home. And Daniel, of course, is the name of her older brother. uh, That's Sir Hugo Bartleby killed in that duel. Miss Vidya, you've left Sir Henry White on the ground and chose to pursue your leopard. And when you get to that cage... You notice that the leper's eyes are wide, the pupils are dilated, and the hackles begin to rise as you approach. It has pushed itself to the further, furthest corners of this undersized crate, and he is silent, too silent. And that's when you realize, looking into the eyes of this cat, that he doesn't recognize you. You are foreign to him, an anomaly, an unknown. He doesn't know you. Fanny Talboy is in your arms, Sir Bartleby. Uh, Her shaking body feels too cold and too hot at the same time. But you're in the middle of about a madness. So it might be worth me asking you, like, how did you end up with this child in your arms? Where is Deanna? She was just there under that table. She was just there, almost within reach. Fanny looks into your eyes and you recognize that face. It is... It is a face that gives you the feeling that you just swallowed a handful of wet mud and salt water. It's a face that just drops the base of your spine into ice water. It's that same face she gave you back in the library when you made that off-color joke about pool. You have hurt this child somehow. You have wounded her deeply and, and you can't figure out why or how. You just see it in her face. And Sir Robert Dance Miss Catherine Throckmorton is standing currently within your embrace. She drops her head kind of into the side of your neck just for a moment before straightening up. And you recognize this. This is a controlled, yet also a desperate act of affection and also submission. Tears are running down her face. Uh, and She still has blood on her lips, but she's officially past the point of crying. You can see that now. She is focused. She's in the game. And she says to you in response, we all go through it. Fine. How do we get past it? Also in front of you, Sir Robert Dance, the troll, Aaron Burham, pulls himself up warily to his hands and knees. And in this awkward, jolting motion, he crawls, reaches beneath the red mist and recovers that celestial globe that he had made. He fiddles with it for a moment. He looks up at the sky he looks up at you, he just lets this ball roll out of his hands, and then he slowly turns and starts walking back into the darkness. And finally, just in case you guys thought we forgot about her, we didn't. So, Robert Dance, you see Molla, the Newfoundland, walk around the corners of this building, and she is shaking and she can't make eye contact with anyone she glances up to you and she looks back down and saw sir robert dance as she walks past you you can see that she is absolutely dripping with blood that's not her own and and you think back to the last night that that comet went over past and she had an episode yeah but there were two other newfoundlands in the courtyard that were just in a battle to the death and she hesitantly walks by you into the glass enclosure of the ballroom space and she locks eyes with Sir Hugo Bartleby and then she begins to howl. Oh. Much like we began, so shall we begin our descent. Harold, let's montage together what the next two hours look like as this mist around you begins to slowly change colors from this bright blood red back to white and before it completely disappears.
0: I answer her and I say, we start by taking a deep breath. A measured and careful walk is the only one that we can survive. So knowing that my sister slipped into the unknown, Mm -hmm. disappeared in front of my eyes, I'm going to, without question, go back inside with Miss Rackborton and search that location for any sign of what may have happened to grace
1: you'll be able to head in with miss throckmorton um she does take that advice she takes that deep breath and when you get in and you look to the last point that you saw grace you can see her sweaty bloody handprints on the glass but when you look into that spot even just wafting away the the pieces of mist that haven't quite dispersed in the area there's nothing there she's not there she's gone
2: All right, where is Bartleby? If you just look up, you can see Bartleby running just through the crowd, like charging people out of his way to kick over a table. It's the table that he just saw Deanna disappear under. And um, he has kicked it over and he's frantically searching. Well, more frantically than you were, (laughs) because he's not doing too great. He's searching the ground and... I imagine he's also finding just no trace of where that little girl was.
1: Nothing. Not a scent. Not a button. Not an echo of anything. She is gone.
0: I head over to Bartleby, and given that he's so easy to find, I'll say to him, just very simply, almost with a a ghostly remnant of the captain's voice, say, Grace is gone.
2: And he just turns to you with Fanny in his arms and he's just like, Deanna too. Deanna too, Captain.
0: What's the the air then in the ballroom here? Is it stunned silence? People staring around? Are the people still going through all of these emotional, I I don't want to say outbursts, almost inbursts?
1: Yeah. There's an ebb and flow that you recognize here, Captain. It's very similar to the sea's. There are some members of this community uh, that are still going through those haunting inbursts. That was a beautiful word for it. And you recognize that as that kind of, you know, uh, rises, other members of the community will come and help calm certain people down. Because at this point, you guys all know the trick. You guys all know what you have to say. You know what you have to do to come to the other side of this so it's simmering at this point and it's coming down but you know it ebbed and flowed there just for a moment but you can see people scrambling to each other and you know encouraging their fellows to all hail one of these three entities and that will eventually calm the room down but there is so much crying there's so much sobbing and there's so much grieving and loss this entire room is heavy heavy with pain Miss Vidya, how are you doing over there? I think the first thing
3: Vidya starts doing is she's holding at the bars of the cage of her panther, just begging for any type of recognition. Knowing that she sees her panther with these wide eyes, as if he doesn't recognize her, this is this is super traumatic for for any pet owner to be and. Vidya's just holding at the bar shaking them crying out it's me it's me don't you recognize me please please you you have to recognize me i don't i don't know what to do i need i need someone please any i need you to recognize me and it is just going to try to see if there's any reaction
1: from from her little baby boy yeah There will be a reaction, and I need a dodge to accompany that reaction, please, from you. Oh, no.
3: Well, I rolled an 88, and my dodge
1: is a 60. Okay. And your cat, who is watching you, bleeding all of this overflow of emotion into the front of this crate, doesn't recognize you, and you hear the growl, seconds before you feel the pain. With a hard success, this cat is going to wind up grabbing you on the other side of this crate. One paw onto one of those hands, those fingers that are slipped in, locking you into place while the other paw reaches through the grates and starts coming down your face. You're going to take four points of damage as blood just starts spilling all the way on the inside of this crate.
3: And I think I immediately scream in pain.
0: Yep, that's going to get my attention. (laughs)
1: Same. <laughs> Miss Video, why you're here? Because you've just just rang the bell with that scream. They know that scream. I'm sure they both hope they would never have to hear it again. But I need you and I to do an opposed strength check. There's going to be a maneuver because this cat isn't going to let go. Oh boy! I succeed by one point. My strength is a fifty, and I rolled a forty-nine. <sighs> and this cat failed by four. Okay, so gentlemen, there's a a fresh new scream on the dance floor.
0: And I'm
2: kind of familiar with it.
0: Yes, uh, this time, though, uh, Mr. Fisher's nowhere to be seen.
2: Fanny in arms. He's going to run towards the scream because if he can't protect, he's got to protect at least as many of these girls as he can. (laughs) For Christ's sake.
0: Yeah, I'm... I'm heading over as well. If I see Bartleby running with me, I'll, uh... Knowing that he's a much stronger man than I am, I'll say, get the beast to unhand her!
2: I like Captain, and he's just putting Fanny down now that the mist isn't so red. He's willing to. If it was still pink, that wasn't gonna happen, and he'd have to figure out both. But, um, yeah, he's gonna try and just maneuver, like, just grab this paw that's holding her poor arm, and just pull it back even though he knows the hooks are the claws are curled so let's see how we do okay oh no success the cat is very strong
1: (laughs) Captain Sir Robert Dance you've given a direct order to your first mate Hugo you spring into action and you're trying to untangle this cat that's under duress from Miss Vidya Bonnie who is screaming and thrashing and it almost looks like the more you're pulling and the more you're trying to detach the more damage you're doing the Miss Vidia on Bonnie, which Miss Vidia, you are going to go ahead and take an additional two points of damage. Oh boy, guys, I am, I'm really low on health right now. Miss Vidia begins to pale. Uh, one thing you notice, Captain Sir Robert Dance and uh, Sir Hugo barnaby you'll notice this too. The second you put Fanny down, she scampers and runs to that last place that Deanna was seen and just buckles down, pulls her knees to her chest and she's sitting in that exact same spot just rocking herself back and forth. And Sir Robert Dance, you feel a shadow moving around uh, the three of you and this cat. uh, And you look up and you see Miss Throckmorton and she is encircling this crate with this predation in her face. Um, And you remember as she pulls out your pistol that she pulled from your pants earlier and she's on the other side of the crate and she just puts the barrel of the gun on the inside of the crate to the back of this cat's head, and she looks at you.
0: I'm going to give her a cautionary look of weight, and I'm going to dip my head down towards the kennel, and I'm going to speak in as authoritative voice as I can while understanding the the sheer ridiculousness of what I'm about to do, and I'm going to say to this cat. All hail the silent shouter.
1: Roll me a power check.
0: That is a two, which is an extreme success on my power roll.
1: With a critical success on your power roll, obviously the cat isn't going to speak back to you, but please give me narrative. It's 100% yours.
0: Yeah, so I think what I do with the panther is I do two things. I get down near its level, but maintain the authority of height, and I show it, and I make sure that the panther feels that I am the greater predator, and that it had better fucking listen. Like, I want the panther to be afraid of me, so that way it it releases its claws. If I have to embody that shadowy fear, then so be it.
1: So those claws extend further digging into Vidya and you know that she doesn't have much time left but you're eye level with this cat and its I feel like saying that you're intimidating this cat is an understatement to just the sheer force of power that you're bringing and it will snarl, it will gnash his teeth, his hackles will flare up and it will retreat to the back of the crate. Releasing Miss Vidya and Bonnie.
0: So I, I don't move an inch. I keep staring at it. Knowing that Bartleby is going to help her i make sure that just like any predator i don't leave my eye i don't block i don't release eye contact with it i want it to understand that i'm not going anywhere and that it's food as far as i'm concerned if it moves
1: and cowed into the back of this crate and that servant was right earlier miss vidya if she survives this really does need to extend this crate some But it doesn't have much room to pace along the back wall, but there's just enough where if it turns its head, it can roll itself and turn. It just begins this awkward, uncomfortable, submissive pace uh, where it can't make eye contact with you, but it still flares up its teeth if it manages to lift its eyes for a moment. But you have this thing completely cowed to the back of the cake. And it still has a barrel trained on it. But she's looking at you. She's not looking at the cat
0: so I'll just say again without breaking eye contact to Bartleby staunch that wound Mr. Bartleby
2: and uh, Bartleby's been looking over at Fanny but he's holding Vidya's arm straight up so the blood doesn't go to he's he's just like I I can and he's going to tear a sleeve off his own shirt and uh, try and just do his best you know first aid wasn't invented in this time period I can give you a roll on it but it's base
1: yeah Also, just as a audience note, the fact that so much is happening and none of you can look at each other, you're all looking somewhere else, is just chef's kiss on role playing because you're focused on one task at hand. But it's very obvious that your character's traumas are facing in other directions. And I think that's gorgeous.
2: Failed that first aid rule. Sorry. Sorry, Deb.
3: No worries. I think uh, Vidya's lost a lot of blood at this point, so I think she's, she's just having trouble staying with it. She's kind of a little out of it. And after hearing Captain Dance say one of the key heralding phrases, I think just as, whether it's instinct or just as a mantra she believes is going to bring her comfort, she's just going to very quietly say to herself, maybe as she rocks back and forth, All hail the wailer in the dark. All hail the silent shouter. All hail the unheard howler, over and over to
1: herself. The next two hours continue to feed me, Montage.
0: After we do something for Miss Vidia to stop the bleeding, and that really, will for, for Captain Dance, is going to be an important job uh, to make sure that that's done. I'm less concerned about the skill roll, uh, unless the Keeper is, but...
1: Nope. There's enough people here that you'll be able to mobilize to help. And you know, Sir Henry White is going to get up and come to her rescue as soon as he's semi resolved.
0: Yeah, I think that that'll be one of the first things that I do is to reestablish order within the household. Mm -hmm. And so I will go to the top. Obviously, Henry White would be one of the first people on the list, is to essentially get your house in order. And if that means that I have to do some very aggressive chanting. To do so, I will weaponize that chant and get hold of him in the present. Um, but also, too, I want to get a feel for I want to get a feel for his trauma. I'd like to know what he's going through, um, because it's important to get to know the people you're going to be around.
1: Okay. Captain Sir Robert Dance, I'll say, with this room that is dripping with both physical and emotional and psychological agony at this point, um, when you attempt to rally, bring awareness, bring everyone to the to the front um, of their awareness, it's very difficult to do. And this isn't like you know when you're on your ship and the crew is being non-compliant. Um, this is just the fear or the trauma has shaken everyone to their core, it's it's almost like they're more distracted than anything else. So I would love a role from you. Uh, I will take an appearance. I will take uh, a reassure. I would even take a persuade right now, dealer's choice on how you are able to bring everyone's attention back to the situation at hand.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I have dealer's choice then I will absolutely go with appearance. Okay. Because it's the highest stat I have. Let's do it. So that is a hard success. Um, let me see. Actually, let me do some math really quick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because while we're here, we might as well, right? I mean, Might as
1: well burn. Yep.
0: I'll spend four more points of luck, and I will make that an extreme appearance roll. And what I am going to do is I'm going to put myself in the center of the room, and I'm going to call the people of Mill Puddle to me one by one. And I am going to direct them and form a caroling chorus of these hails, and we'll go through each one one by one. We'll group the people by station, right? Highest first, middles second, and then you know the likes of the Bartleby household last. And we'll go through these chants and hails as Miss Vidia is attempting to recover, paling you know her her tan skin paling now to the the proper English color until. The room is fit to be ruled.
1: It doesn't take you long as you call your new troops to attention, Captain Sir Robert Dance, but very soon you are encircled all by all of shopper. the citizens of Millpool all here. And the one that the is standing just two or three feet all breaking the, the understood uh, circle is Mr. Rockmorton, which is not only a Jeff. pledge of allegiance, a demonstration of submission, uh, but a reaffirmation that she is with you all no matter hail, what happens from here. Dark. And that choral hail, arrangement begins. Hall. It is haunting. It is terrifying. It is racking. But just like Miss Vidya has seen, just Silent like all of Shutter. you have seen, it's reassuring. Hail, and it feels safe. Dark. And it feels all like him, home. And you notice house. as this chorus is starting we to the crescendo that, that the mist has death. completely altered colors at this point. It is fully faded to just a pure ghostly white. And in a moment, it rises two, three, four feet off of the air. And just as the last series of all hells escapes everyone's list, it drops to the ground. There's a splash, and then it completely disappears. The mist is gone. The red illuminating aquatic light that has been haunting you all for over a month is gone. That primary body of red mist out in the yard is gone. And everyone is looking at you.
0: I'll uh, I'll take a deep breath again. Actually, a visual deep breath. And look at Sir Henry White. Almost with a a bit of authority, again, that stretches from the deck of a ship. I will say... Good, sir. Are you prepared to take hold of your household?
1: He looks around for a moment because his household is gone. But he understands the question. Uh, And he goes and he very intentionally encircles Vidya uh, and goes to help her from her feet. And he looks to you and he says, yes, sir. I'm prepared to take control of my household.
0: Very well. I believe we have all experienced A unique event this evening, one which will echo throughout the rest of our lives. There must be a doctor or someone nearby who can assure me that Miss Ambani will be safe and come to no more harm. I will not leave this house until I'm given that assurance.
1: And you can see Sir Henry White looks over at a gentleman who is still in the last thralls of whispering those last three hell statements. And they share a nod, and he looks to you, and he says, I can give you total confidence, sir. No harm will come to her.
0: Whatever may have befallen us, it also affected Miss Ambani's animals. I will send for them to be returned to the stables immediately with whatever force I can muster. (sighs) I look around the room, again, still at the assembled people. Remember this day and this night. It may come again. Your heralds were here this time. We may not be in the future. Remember those words. And I will uh, extend a arm to Miss Thrackmore and say, I believe it is time for us to leave.
1: Uh, And she looks towards her household And once she makes eye contact with all of them, she just snaps her finger, which can be heard through the glove. They all fall in line. And it's Captain Sir Robert Dance. It's almost as if you had Sir Bartleby by your side or if Annie were by your side. Whatever her father and her brother trained her on from a sheer soldier's compliance and obedience standpoint, she has that dialed in. Ms. Vidya Ambani standing behind you, um, giving you as much comfort as he can is sir henry white and he nuzzles the side of your head which is a major violation right now but i don't think anybody's really going to be saying much and he says to you vidya if you agree to marry me we'll leave tomorrow tonight right now i will give you everything that's in my power to give and i'll take us wherever you choose we can go to london i can take you home just agree to marry me.
3: I do. is still a little dazed. She's just looking up dreamily at at Henry. This is probably the nicest thing that has happened in the past hour or two since she was dancing with him and since he stood up for her. So,
1: And she's lost a lot of blood. He wraps his arms around you and he whispers in your ear all oh, hell the silent shouter.
3: All hail the silent shouter.
1: And he nuzzles you. Sir Hugo Bartleby, you have a very bloody, semi-wounded Newfie that is in the heel command, even though that it wasn't issued to her. But she is locked on. If you turn, she turns. If you stop, she sits. And her eyes are just locked onto you, whether you look at her or not. But she, she is in a heel command command, and it's one of those things that's so heartbreaking, because you're like, I don't know if she's ever going to come out of this. That's how devoted she is right now.
2: Mm-hmm. She probably fought that hard just because she knew I was in here. Yeah, he's going to, um, he's going to pet his dog. <laughs> and Bradley's going to walk out the French doors, and he's going to just say, ma follow.
1: And she's there. You think she'll always be there.
2: Mm-hmm. He's just going to walk out into the night, uh, Where that fog was, even though it's nighttime, he's going to walk down into where it had been. A place that he'd avoided for, what, like two weeks? A month-ish, nearly?
1: Four to five weeks. It was a while. It was there a month.
2: doesn't feel like it. You said the red glow is gone.
1: The red glow is gone. The mist is gone. Much like that spot under the table, there's nothing there.
2: So is it like just bare earth or
1: no it's the gardens there are flowers Mm. and a little path ornaments and things of that nature they look completely unharmed unbothered unaffected by whatever was hovering over them for weeks
2: yeah and Hugo's going to um, walk down the very bottom of the garden he finds a bench there and he just sits down and taking some of the uh, where the where the mist collapsed to the ground is quite wet so he's just going to take some leaves and try and clean his poor dog (laughs) Get some of the blood out of her fur. He's glad it's mostly not hers. And he's just going to silently tend to her for a little while. Because with Maul, things are simple. You just give her affection and it's not complicated. And it's just so straightforward. And he thinks of Annie in pool and hopes that she's okay. He's failed so many people so far. And uh, he's not been talking much, even during the chanting he's wasn't really taking part he uh he's a little too <laughs> disaffected right now so he's thinking things to himself like probably write a poem about it might be a uh, might be some art in it but fuck it fuck their silent shouter fuck their wailer in the dark fuck their unheard howler I'll have the lot of them I will find them I will avenge myself and I will save little Diana. Because he thinks that's still possible. He hasn't had someone he couldn't do this with. But from his confrontation with it, when... When it tried to make him duel, he's now like, fuck this. That, that, this is all bullshit. It's all just things to hold me back. If that girl wants her duel, fine. She can... She can ask for it again. We'll see how I do at the time. He doesn't actually wish her ill. And yeah, he's going to just sit there and tend to his dog and just, in doing so, tend to himself a little bit.
1: And hours passed on that bench where it's just you and it's just Maul. And the affection is shared. The affection is shared. And eventually you're going to see the sun coming up over the horizon. Captain Sir Robert Dance at some point... Um, you are going to get a report from one of the other women that was at the ball. Uh, she is going to report that of the 68 people in attendance, 24 of them are gone. Uh, notable disappearances are Deanna Bartleby, Grace Rockcliffe, the Whites, and the entire Bland family, including Emma, are gone.
0: Dear God. The entirety of the Bland family is gone? Yes, Captain. Is this report coming to me the next morning?
1: Oh, no, this is still going to be this evening. Okay. Or let me correct that. Were you leaving? I know you had mobilized Miss Throckmorton saying we were getting ready to leave. So you were leaving. Oh, yes. Okay. So this will be a report in the morning then.
0: Okay. So before that report comes to me, and I, I would in no way want to interject your, your telling of the story here. Um, I want to be very intentional and clear about what I am doing that evening. Let's do it. Ms. Thrackmore and I are returning to the estate which Grace held for me. My house. We're going back to my house. Mm-hmm. And I'm being very direct with servants and stewards and footmen there that they're going to extend Miss Thrackmore and her accompanying family the due respect of preparing rooms. And then without saying a final word to any of them, I am walking myself with Miss Rackford to my room and closing the door.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: And then I'll get the report in the morning.
1: And then you'll get the report in the morning. Miss Vidya, I'm just going to ask, as we're closing up the evening, I thought that was a great call from um, Mike Diamond there. Henry wants you to come home with him. It's not that etiquette has gone out the door, but it's almost like etiquette has gone out the door. Stay with me. I will.
3: I guess I see at this point... The captain has left with potentially his new family, and
1: I am here with mine. And you will be escorted back with every respect and all deference being paid, despite this egregious violation of etiquette, to the White House. This is also more or less montage and I will explain to you guys as this stretches out how it plays out but starting with Captain Sir Robert Dance when the two of you wake up in the morning regardless of how you slept because I can't imagine what that sleep was like but when you wake up in the morning and sun is coming through the curtains you can see something Uh, Captain Sir Robert Dance sitting on the stool Facing that large mirror that you have in your room, um, you see Grace. Uh, She is sitting there, and it looks like she is combing through her hair. She looks different somehow, altered somehow, changed somehow. And this will be your reality from this moment until the day that you die. Every week, you will be making a sanity check because every moment... Of every day, Grace Rockcliffe will be with you. Sometimes she speaks. Sometimes she's just moving around in the background silently. But when she does speak, she will only say the same three phrases. When you sleep, when you eat, when you ride, when you make love to your new bride. No matter what, every moment of every day, Grace Rockcliffe is there until your sanity snaps, until you completely break until you're absolutely no more. That is your reality. That is your life from this moment into the end of Captain Sir Robert's Dance. She is always with you. Hmm. Sir Bartleby? Hoy. This is going to be the exact same thing for you. At some point, you and Maul fell asleep on that bench. and Your eyes flutter and the sun is beating down through the, the back of your lids. Um, you look up and you can see Diana. Uh, and she's awkwardly pushing herself in circles on this grassy area with these new roller skates that she had. And she's doing the best she can to scuttle about, but she can't really get any traction because she's on grass. Maul sees her. Maul begins to whine. And that is going to be the duration of your reality from this moment on into the day that you die. Sometimes Deanna speaks, and when she does, she says the same three phrases again and again and again. Otherwise, she's silent. She screams silently or she looks like she's in some type of pain or she suffers. But no matter what you do, no matter where you go, she is always going to be there with you. Miss Vidya Ambani, Miss Emma Bland is your new compatriot for the rest of your days. Oh, crap. When you wake up in that morning, standing over your bed, looking at you, you see Emma Bland and she is different. She changed and she is altered somehow. Sometimes she speaks. Sometimes she doesn't. When she does speak, she utters those same three phrases. And she will be with you from this moment into the end of your life.
3: Ugh, I hate her. Oh, I was so happy when she died. No.
1: Heralds don't die. Heralds live forever. Roll me forward montage, guys what the next upcoming months look like for you and your individual households.
0: I think the captain is going to secure a couple of things, especially coming to the realization after several days in a row where Grace is consistently present, Mm -hmm. especially consistently like everywhere. Um, I think he would he's a smart man. He would probably come to the understanding that Something in that house broke him and in a way that is not fixable. And so that would be a very tough realization to come to, just in a, in a mental state. But the next couple months would be likely a very swift and hopefully joyous joining of two households. The captain would be very direct with Mr. Rockmore about what he wants and he would go after it until he had secured it. And that is essentially marriage, child, and then essentially a written release of his need to continue any sort of military service, an actual retirement. Hmm. I think that would be his idea. His, And this is sort of his probably grim mental state, which is he realizes that his time is over and he has the foresight of it being over without anyone else around him knowing that it's over. And so he sees it as almost a, well, like a military advantage at sea where he's going to get the jump on the inevitable. Okay. And that would be to plan all that stuff out, right? Plan out the end. Cause he can't mentally survive like this. He knows that. That's probably the next few months.
1: Okay. Your bride who I should start calling from this point forward, miss dance. Correct. Correct. She understands the assignment. She's haunted by visions too. And you quickly realize that everyone who saw the red comet is haunted by something or someone. Hers is a Miranda. You remember her uttering that phrase uh, on the porch when the comic first arrived. And she doesn't she doesn't want to talk about it. She may at some point, Uh, but she keeps her feelings reined in, probably breakpoint tight. But she's with you with the planning, with the expectations. And with the realization that you all are on a quickly deteriorating clock. The sands are spilling through the globe at this point. And the one point that she is going to be very, very intentional on is if you two survive long enough for her to provide a child, where that child's care, direction, and basically life planning is going to be handed off to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The both of us are mentally tactical people. And Mm -hmm. so... We would probably both approach it as—I don't want to say a business arrangement, but, but in the sense that the intentionality would be: let's plan the best possible uh, station financial future for whatever child comes, and that also means the proper rearing. Yeah, and so it might even be that dance would do what he could, reputation-wise, to to find the. And it's so—it's so sick—it's so, it's so cyclical for him too, right? So as a young child, Dance loses his father Mm -hmm. and a very important builder in the city of London, an architect, takes him on and and serves to rear him. So he would likely echo back to that and find someone within the city of London, maybe in the financial or banking industry or the right person, the right person, and uh, do whatever was possible to convince them, whether that be... Political favors, as long as he can dole them out, financial concerns, etc., to secure any child, male or female, the proper upbringing to glide them into an age that he will never see.
1: It is a written plan that the two of you have agreed on. It's the rearing of this child that you will never raise, that you will never hear laugh or explore the world. Or see go to their first dances or get married or have children, but it's calculated, it's agreed upon, written plan. And let's be honest, Captain Sir Robert Dance, once word gets back to India that Miss Vidya has secured a successful marriage, your fortunes are going to triple down. That child, which when I come back to you, I will need a gender and a name on this baby, will be financially well supported. Sir Hugo Bartleby, what do the next few months look like for you?
2: Hugo's mental state wasn't great before he started seeing his um little sister, the only member of his family he really cared about. So what he is going to do, while he knows he can keep it together, is he is going to sit down and write down everything that has happened. Okay. He is going to just lock up the house the servants are all freed from their duties they can they've been given whatever fees are outstanding Mm -hmm. he's the head of the Bartleby house it is his home he will live alone for a little while Fanny is welcome to stay there if she feels the need to but she's probably not going to but yeah he's taken to writing it all down that has happened Christabella Broad has been harassing me saying that I agreed to duel her at dawn to give her satisfaction she's been put off and put off but eventually the door is opened to her and um, she's invited in he spent most of the last month took him about a month to write everything down and he's struck out versions of it and rewritten parts and bits that are blurry are he, he totally admits in the di- in the diary format that he doesn't know everything that happened but this is his tale of it, his version of events he's had Maul with him the whole time and uh He brings Christabella into the one clean room in the house that isn't covered in dog hair and just dust. And he's just going to pour two glasses of brandy and sit down across from her. I have no interest in killing you nor being killed by you. But after what you went through, do you still demand satisfaction?
1: And there's something about her... Incessant requests and her hauntings and her knockings and her arrivals and this just uh, you know dog with a bone duel me duel me duel me you've been watching this over the course of the month uh, sir Bartleby and you you know how to read people pretty well at some point you recognize and this is really early on I'll say the first twenty percent of her her efforts that she doesn't actually want to duel you anymore. She just wants to be put out of whatever suffering she's going through. Maybe that is a carry-on luggage from just all the trauma and the anger and the hurt that she's been feeling since you killed her brother. Or as many times as you've opened the door, slammed it in her face, or she stood on your porch, you know that she's seen someone too. And there's a snapping point, there's a breaking point, and when she's sitting there having that brandy with you, uh, and Maul is panting and looking at her and Maul begins to growl and you know that means Deanna is getting ready to walk back out of some room. Um, she just looks at you and she says, I just want to die and I don't have the courage to do it myself.
2: Hugo just nods slowly. Honestly, I... Uh, you didn't get introduced to her, but my youngest sister Diana, the uh, sweet little thing, probably the best of the Bartleby's, she uh, was lost in that red mist and now well. And he just looks down at Mal and he scratches behind her ear as she growls. He's like, it looks like she might be coming to visit me again. I, uh, he just looks at her with very tired eyes. And he's just like, I'll challenge you to a duel. However, I would accept your offer of duel. However, I, I hope you'll give me everything you got. All that you have on the field of battle. Don't just show up to die. Just Fight me for the sake of fighting me. Give me everything that you have, and I'll give you all I have. No quarters barred. One to one. And we'll see who gets their rest.
1: She looks at you, and she smiles almost appreciatively. And she nods respectfully, and she knocks that brandy back like a champ. And she slams the glass on the table. She stands and she looks down to you and says, Sir Hugo Bartleby, I accept your challenge and I don't owe you a damn thing. And she walks out.
2: He just smiles as she leaves and just slowly sips his brandy. He's actually been afraid to reach out to Annie and Poole, but um, he's going to take a bit of time and use the last of the money because there's probably not much left. He's got stuff tied up with dance, but that can't be accessed straight away. It's not liquid. He's going to drop a will and he's going to go over to the dance household and see if he can get it signed and recognized by, you know, witnessed by a a gentleman of renown. And um, he's going to leave everything to Annie. All shares, all. Most of his money was tied up in investments, so it's going to be with her. He doesn't have dance's concern about an heir he is worried about who will have this record of what's happened and who will remember the people that have been lost Hugo's main concern at the moment is going to be tidying all his affairs before one last big thing going to do what he said he's going to fight this woman to the death If whoever comes out comes out
1: okay Hugo a handful of things happen in compliment to what you've already described. Uh, one, you do have your duel with Miss Christabella Brode. Diana silently is begging you not to do it from the moment that you agree to the moment that you step out. Miss Christabella is asking for a rifle duel, mm-hmm. a single shot. When you put her down and her body hits the floor, Uh, Deanna cries for months, for months and months and months. You watch your little sister cry and grieve over this woman, sometimes audibly by just repeating those same three phrases, sometimes silently. And that might be worse just to wake up in the middle of the night and see your sister bathed in moonlight sobbing over this woman. Uh, And when you do check Miss Christabella Brode's gun, uh, she did not have a bullet in it. And also in the course of those few weeks, you wake up, One morning to the sound of just a thunk, a heavy clink, a snapping sound. And you don't even have to get out of bed to know that your sister, Mariana, has officially decided to opt out. Miss Vidyan, Bonnie, what do the next few months look like for you? I
3: feel like given how traumatizing the coming out debutante ball was... I think Vidya's putting all of her attention into trying to learn proper etiquette now that she is a white. Miss Vidia White, that's right. hmm I think, though, at one point in time, she definitely asks Henry, what did you see that night of the ball? Everyone saw something and, and nobody talks about it.
1: What did you see? The longer you're with Henry, the more devoted you see that he is to you um, to a level that almost feels fairy-tellish. It feels unreal. Maybe that's your trauma speaking, or maybe that's just exactly how devoted he is. Um, But he tells you a story of his parents and uh, the expectations that were put on him by his parents And the suffering that he endured from his mother specifically when he didn't meet those expectations. And at the point that he finally tells you this story, you're able to connect the various scars that he has on him that you've seen multiple times when you guys were intertwined. But you assume that it came from, you know, fencing lessons or training or childhood accidents. And you realize that, no, he's wearing a canvas of the abuses that he suffered from his mother. And he says to you. Both times when the Red Comet passed, I was back in that closet with her. When Vidya hears this, she gets,
3: she feels so sad knowing that her husband went through this. But she puts a gentle hand on his face and tells him, the second time, that night at the ball, I saw you, and leaves it at a gentle smile. Where do you guys go, Miss Vidya and Bonnie? He did say he would go wherever, wherever I wanted.
1: He promised to take you home if that's what you wished, and you learned very quickly that this is a man of his work.
3: I think s- after spending some time maybe wrapping up our affairs in Millpuddle, Vidia realizes that she can't, she can't be under the supervision of Captain Dance and Hugo Bartleby forever and they have their own lives, they have their own family affairs to take care of. And she wants to go somewhere where there's summer. So I think she goes back home with her husband in an attempt to live a life that she really wants to live in.
1: Vidya, he takes you home. You've made that trip before you can make it again. It'll be six months back to India. And unfortunately, it'll be six months of gray skies, sheets of rain, and a crew that was paid handsomely, extremely well, especially with Sir Henry White's, your husband's, wealth, but it's still just, it's not the captain's crew. No. And you guys will be able to head home. I think throughout that journey at sea, Vidya
3: is probably telling Henry all of the exciting poetry, book club moments
1: that she, the captain, and Hugo had. And there are moments, Miss Vidya White, I should be saying at this point, uh, when you do speak to him, he's usually very intent, uh, he's very attentive and dialed in, but there are moments when you know that he's seen what he sees and he's just, it's like talking to a, a, a wall, he's just not mm-hmm. present. And those times are hard attunement issues are hard when people don't recognize you or don't see you or can't connect with you. But there's always one person who is there with you through every story, through every moment. And that is Miss Emma Blant. Ah, Emma. I feel like having
3: Emma around can be... Satisfying in some ways, and also so very not at the same time, where Emma is the embodiment of the voice in my head that tells me I can't do it. So every time I do something successful, it's a big fuck you in the face to her. But every time I fail at something, it's just
1: amplified. Every time you cry, she's standing over you. Every time you make love to your husband, she's in the bed with you. Every time you feel scared, she's there screaming at you. Captain Sir Robert Dance. What was the gender and the name of that baby?
0: Uh, So it is a male child, and his name is Nathaniel Alexander Dance.
1: Nathaniel Alexander Dance. One morning, it's you and your wife. Enter into... This nursery that you all have. Where did you move to, by the way? Did you guys stay there?
0: Oh, no, 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 no. We would not have stayed there. We we, we relocated to London. Okay. Which would afford us access to uh, the best teachers, the best, well, basically everything that is, um, that a city that big would have to offer. Yeah. Likely one of the final notes I would strike with Bartleby, we would talk about at least in maybe uh, moments when I'm not plotting and planning with my new bride about the fact that we were leaving and unbeknownst Mm -hmm. to unbeknownst to Bartleby, I would leave in the care of a steward because I would place a steward at at my house. I would leave a stipend for Fanny (gasps) to ensure that financially she could survive. I know she has her own money, but I also know that when things eventually come to a head between the Bartleby household and her, I want to give her essentially a note that says, if if things change, if, if you must make different arrangements, there is something here for you so that you can forge your own path. Because I feel that it, what was done to him was very unfair. And it's not something that I could give to Bartleby and that he would follow through on because he just, he's probably too stubborn. So I'm going to do it behind his back. Okay. Because I like that sort of thing. And then, yeah, we would, we would leave and relocate to London and then um, go from there.
1: I'm just going to give you this before I jump back into the, uh, the nursery scene. At some point you're going to get a letter from Miss Fanny Towboys, and it's pretty straightforward. She thanks you for your gifts and your considerations. Uh, She makes a very forward statement that I don't want to see them anymore. I don't want to hear them anymore. And uh, she apologizes. She signs her name, and then in a postscript, she writes, I think his family killed my family in pool. And that is the last you will ever hear from Fanny Towboys. Captain Sir Robert Dance, a package has arrived this morning. Your neighborhood-friendly tailor has drafted something else up for the baby. Something cute, something lacy, something adorable. And you and your wife, I, I can't say you're... you're, you're um, you're happily going to check on a baby because at this point you're both deteriorating pretty rapidly. The lower your sand drops, the more likely it is that you're going to continue to fail checks. And you guys are analytical, tactical people. If you're looking at mm, the loss of a sand point per week and it escalates, you you're looking at maybe a year, 50 weeks, a year, maybe more. If you get lucky. And at some point you walk into the nursery and there is a figure hovering over little Nathaniel and Your sister, Grace, is on her hands and knees on top of this bassinet, screaming down at the baby. Nathaniel is screaming at the top of his lungs, and you move that direction, and your wife puts a hand on you, but her hand goes through you. And this is the moment that you will all experience very, very soon when your sanity snaps When your psyche breaks, you completely vanish from this particular world. When your sanity snaps, when your psyche breaks, you go somewhere else. You reappear in its court to suffer, to serve, and to herald for all eternity. And for the last of your days, Captain Sir Robert Dance, Uh, you will be rearing this child alone. Close us out for your character.
0: Yeah, I think the final days, he likely stays very close to the baby. He hermits inside the nursery, and he spends between feedings and and shooing any sort of um, nursemaids away as best he can or even obliging them temporarily, he writes and writes and writes. He tries to put together a book for young Nathaniel to read someday to understand what happened to his parents from the, the words and minds of his father to be able to understand what it means to be Here using that experience and pain of losing both his wife, a second one Mm. and grace, his devout sister, he will craft a journal for Nathaniel to understand what it means to be present, what it means to be here and just how fleeting those moments are and why they matter. And then when I fade, the rocking chair is a fine place for it.
1: Sir Hugo Bartleby, at some point, and I'll say this probably happens around month three, um, this is long after your sister's body is carted out of the house, cut down from the rafters above and carted out of the house. This is, uh, there's a moment when you're staring at a dying fireplace and Maul begins to bark, and you know that Deanna's never really far. If you get a moment of reprieve, we're talking five minutes at best. But when she appears, Maul's hackles raise, rise like they always do. She snarls, she snaps, and when you go to calmer like you've done every single day for the past three months, your hand goes through her. And there is a final whimper and she completely disappears. And you are left in that house with Diana alone.
2: This is a bridge too far for Hugo. Hugo has been considering, you know, he's written everything down. He's put all his affairs in order and he's now just left in this position of they took my fucking dog. He was not as young as he used to be, but he is now going to start preparing for war. He doesn't know when he is going to go. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. But when he goes, he is going to go out, ready to raise hell on wherever he winds up. So from this day forward, Hugo carries two swords, several pistols on his body, just the horn of black powder on him, shot in his pockets. To anyone who didn't live in Millpuddle, he is an insane man who lives in a house Yep. In a cottage on the edge of the village. And um, the book has been sent off to Annie. She'll, whether or not she can make use of it, he doesn't know. He doesn't, you know if she can even, she'll know somebody. It's beyond his ability now. All he knows is that one day he's going to go too. And I think we've, it's happened to enough people in the village that he's now like, yeah, it's, it's going to happen to me too. It's going to happen. And when it happens, I am going to go there and I am going to kill them they took so much from me so when he does go he just sees Deanna one last time he's just like I'm coming to get you Deanna my little angel I am going to kill them all forever (laughs) as he disappears just this feeling of fear It's, it's just like his first battle it's just the jitters, the shakes, the adrenaline, pump coursing, and just also this anticipation. And he's got so much more skill than he did then. He's now ready to go. And Hugo Bartleby just disappears.
1: And Hugo Bartleby, the last thing you think you hear, you're not sure, You're you're down to that one last sanity point just that one just diana over the months has been ticking ticking away ticking away ticking away ticking away ticking away ticking away you're you're down to that one last sanity point and you hear your front door open it's thrown open you can smell grass and and fresh air coming in um, you can smell leaves. You, when is the last time you were outside? And you hear a voice that calls out, oh, you go! And it's Annie's voice coming to check on you that is your final snap. And you disappear before you ever see her face or she ever sees yours. Miss Vidya Bani takes six months. That is ticking away faster than you could possibly imagine. But you guys do get to India. You get home.
3: I think it feels good to finally be near my sisters again. I was being taken care of of so many amazing men for the past year or so. And so to finally be near other women that I actually feel comfortable being myself around, I think that that helps me. Okay. Do you tell your family anything? I tell my sisters. I can't really trust that my father has my best interests at heart. I came back married to a very wealthy man, which is what my father wanted. He doesn't need to know anything else besides that. But I I confide in my sisters that something weird happened, something weird that I cannot explain.
1: Your family is worried about you, Vidya. Everyone is worried about you. You're home. Yes, you're married. But there's something different about you. There's something strange and something foreign about you, something that they don't recognize. What is it about you that despite your best efforts that they are perceiving, that they are reading, that you are exuding?
3: After the incident with my my sweet baby boy, my panther, something something changed. Something about the way I view the world, my earlier optimistic attitude just always believing everything will work out in the end something about being attacked by my own family, my own little baby makes me feel very distant most of the time to other people and I start having these thoughts out loud whether it's to Henry or to my sisters that If I disappear, promise you'll remember me. Please don't forget me.
1: And one morning, Miss Vidya White, you hear a commotion somewhere in this massive palace that you all live on or live in, and you see something. The first time you've seen this in over a year, going on almost two years, the sun... The sun is out. It is shining in its full glory. Maybe this season is over and you you pull yourself out of bed and you don't even notice that Henry isn't there. The indention is there, but he's not there. And you, in your excitement, you go over to the grand curtains and you pull them back and you see the sun one last time before you two reappear in its court to serve and to suffer as its herald for all eternity. A year without summer, low temperatures and heavy rains resulted in failed harvests in Great Britain and Ireland. Families in Wales traveled hundreds of miles begging for food. Famine was prevalent in the north and southwest Ireland following the failure of wheat, oat and potato harvests. In Germany, the crisis was severe. In New England, corn was reported to have ripened so poorly that no more than a quarter of it was usable for food. The moldy and unripe harvest was not even fit for an animal. U.S. grain prices quadrupled, and oat prices increased almost eightfold. When the massive crop failures struck Canada, Quebec ran out of bread and milk and Nova Scotians found themselves boiling foraged herbs for sustenance. China suffered from massive crop failures and disastrous floods. As a disruption in their Indian summer monsoon season spread a cholera outbreak from the River Ganges all the way to Moscow. Starving people began to protest before grain markets and bakeries. Soon, riots, arson, and looting took place in all of the major cities across Europe. Bread or blood, the rioters chanted, bread or blood. A Year Without Summer was recorded as the worst famine in 19th century Europe. Hundreds of thousands of people died globally of starvation and disease. And in 1816, a handful of chosen people were visited by a red mist. These broken souls bore witness to the Red Comet. And these newly appointed heralds still cry out voicelessly, all hell, the silent shouter, all hell, the wailer in the dark, all hell, the unheard howler. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you very much, Keeper Bridget, for a rousing seven episode series of Echoes in the Mist. The Old Blaze podcast and its listeners greatly appreciate all your hard work. And I hope all of you have enjoyed the series. So on that note, I'll simply say thank you to cast and to crew and good night.